to hey, the point. Uh, would you uh, would you have sex with Pam? What <laughs> was that in the movie? Yeah, you missed it. It's when all three siblings. <laughs> oh yeah, and then Gene's like, "I would, <laughs> I would." I can't believe you just you looked at me like I was insane. Hey guys, this is Alon, and this is David, and welcome to I Finally Watched, where today I finally watched the Meyerowitz stories. David. Did you like the Meyerowitz stories? Oh, getting right into it. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I loved it. I, it reminds me of so many different like, other types of movies. And what I like about this and um, another one we're going to do, uh, Francis Ha, but this in particular is a lot of Bombback movies are super awkward. Mm-hmm and are therefore like hard for me to watch continuously. Like I have to kind of take pauses and breaks and I like when something really bad happens, like I, I kind of pause it and take a minute and then I like try and power through it. But this doesn't really have that. It's just a really good movie. It's really funny. And that's not even to say I don't like the other ones. I love like Squid and the Whales, one of my favorites of his. But this is just kind of a very enjoyable but very well done movie um, that I really liked. Uh, I think this has to be my favorite Bombback movie. I mean, I've seen this movie, uh, I think when it first came on to Netflix, but you've kind of, I didn't know it was Bombback, but you've kind of introduced me to the rest of Noah Bombback's um, works. And, you know, it it kind of like made me look him up and kind of find out more about him. And, it really surprised me when I when I realized he was like 51 years old because a lot of his movies gives more of like a of a younger adolescent feel to them. Um, I, I don't know how to like a like a quirky feel. I don't want to use that word, but do you know what I do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, and if he's 51 though, I mean his first movie came out in '95, which is kind of very similar. A little bit of a similar vibe to this his his movies kind of grow as he grows but i mean you know he was in his, his 20s when he did that one if he's 51 now so i think all of his movies as i was just saying they kind of they show some growth and they show like some changes in his life and maybe even just like him being a little happier um you know squid and the whale uh super dark Margot at the wedding, which I don't think you've watched, but I watched because I was trying to be a completionist and, and see all of his stuff is also super dark and like has a lot of those awkward moments that I are hard for me. Um, but like Francis Ha and then this one, I haven't seen the one in between Mistress America that also has Greta Gerwig in it, um, which Francis Ha does. But these are kind of more just like light movies to me uh, while we're young too, which came out in between those. Um, And they're just, I think they're just, I guess you could say more enjoyable movies. I mean, probably more commercially viable, I guess, more appealing to like a majority of people just because they don't have those like dark, super kind of depressing family dynamics, I guess. I mean, yes and no. I mean, Francis Ha doesn't really have a depressing family dynamic, more so a kind of a a friendship dynamic that gets depressing. But for this movie, and especially The Squid and the Whale, 
definitely very much focused on the relationship between the parents, especially the father and the kids, um, which watching this one and then Squid and the Whale and then coming back to the Meyerowitz stories really kind of uh, <laughs> made me aware how similar those two movies are in theme and tone and, you know, what they're saying. But also very different in where, I guess I'll say the children, um, where they are in their lives. You know, the um, squid and the whale is much, you know, how divorce and bad parenting affects younger kids. And this is kind of like the byproduct of that. This uh, Meyerowitz stories is how, or what happens to the children once they get older. Yeah, but I, and I agree, except I do think the tone of them are different. I don't think, um, while you can find the squid and the whale funny, it's like a very kind of dry, darker funny, whereas this, uh, Meyerowitz and you know, some of the others I mentioned, kind of just have like some very just like natural, like comedic elements to them, like just like going for jokes um, and just I overall lighter feel. Like, I mean, when the... Uh, Emma Thompson when she like is just driving and then just pulls off into the yard and goes straight into a tree Um, like those are just like kind of like these slapstick elements that you don't see in the squid and the whale and like Margot at the wedding and kicking and screaming well I mean you know a lot of more funnier people are are in the Meyerowitz stories you have Adam Sandler playing one of the sons you have Ben Stiller playing the older the oldest son and then I mean, in his own right, Dustin Hoffman can be pretty funny too. But you have these kind of like quirky characters, very quirky characters doing things that it's like, yeah, you're right. They're just doing them for the sake of kind of like pushing that comedy element. But, and I don't know if you know this, but I'm not a huge fan of Adam Sandler, but this is like one of my favorite movies he's in. This is like where I can like really take him seriously as an actor. Well, and I think he's had some other roles where you can say that, like Punch Drunk Love, which is a um, a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. If you get no, I've seen. I yeah, no, definitely, I've seen Punch Drunk Love. I just think this, as performance wise for him, this is one of my favorites. One when I f- did my second watch of this, the first thing I wrote down is like how great his performance in it is is in this like i think hoffman's while it's great it's a little one note and it's kind of has to be but his is almost like this <laughs> now that i think about it, it's almost like rain man is like an older guy like he's just got this like this focus on just himself it's like if rain man was this like selfish egotistical person <laughs> whose life didn't turn out right like he keeps telling people that sigourney weaver is like hi my name's sigourney and like oh hi i'm you know uh what's his name is it harvey or harold well you know what's yeah you know what's crazy though is that in a way i i can see this like there's times in the movie where he's trying to tell his sigourney weaver story and his kids just like flat up ignore him or like just find it as like the most uninteresting thing when in fact like oh maybe if that happened to your dad it would be kind of interesting but he's grown he's like kind of like brainwash them he's taught them like hey 
I'm always selfish. I'm always the center of attention to the point where they just don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. But I think that's reciprocal. Like they, when him and Ben Stiller are having a conversation, they're both just talking about themselves. I'm thinking of like the, uh, the restaurant where Ben Stiller gets the reservation. It's like Ben Stiller's trying to impress upon him how great his life is and how successful he's been. While at the same time, um, you know, Dustin Hoffman's just trying to explain to him like, you know, these things and how, Oh, LJ's going to come look at my show. And I've got this show set up. And I, at first I was like, when I, especially cause I saw the trailer for this, you know, when you click over on Netflix all the time and the, and the scene where Ben Stiller's like, Oh, uh, the owner got us his table cause he's uh, a client and he'll probably send over some free stuff. I was like, Oh, so he's kind of playing this douchey character. But like in actuality, he's just like a son trying to impress his father. Yeah, exactly. Which I think is like really, uh, as a son, I think it's really relatable. And, you know, it's like kind of like, oh, it's like, on one hand is kind of what I was trying to say is the ignoring the the father and kind of treating him like a, I don't want to say a second class citizen, but just kind of treating him beneath them all is like, oh, wow, at first glance, you're like, yeah, he's being a douche, or they're all being douches. But then it's like, oh, man, he's basically like emotionally abused them growing up. It's like, no, this dude completely deserves what's coming to him. Yeah, and to get back to the the squid and the whale comparison, it's like, he's the Jeff Daniels character, although I think not as horrible. But it's almost like maybe he was the Jeff Daniels character at that age. And, you know, when he's treating, when he's with those kids. Um, But now he's more of just like this, you can't call him lovable because these kids had to live with him. But from the outside, it's like, he's just this kind of old guy who didn't get his fame, but is like, just kind of repeats himself over and over and wants to talk to you about the Mets and wants to talk to you about the the war stories of the good old days. Um, But having to live with that you know you have ben stiller who got all of his attention but didn't want it and then you have adam sandler and uh playing danny and gene who never got his attention but do want it you know what i mean like they're fighting for his attention but they never got it yeah yes and no because i feel like it's kind of deeper psychological uh, psychologically than that is that matthew ben stiller's character didn't necessarily not want all the attention, but the same pressures as like being the favorite son or being, you know, the favorite child, it comes with these pressures that's like overwhelming or, and on top of the narcissistic, you know, uh, behaviors that Dustin Hoffman's character has, you can tell that the, the pressures of growing up in that household kind of got to him. Um, One of my favorite parts parts in the movie is when you're first introduced to Matthew, Ben Stiller's character, and he's talking to uh, one of his clients played by Adam Driver, which I feel like is in every Bombback movie I've seen. Um, A lot of them. Yeah, and he's not a main character in this. He's just, you know, a friend or a client. But he's, Ben Stiller is so confident that he now knows how to treat his dad. He know he now feels like he can dodge all the punches and he can take all the hits. You know, he he knows how to handle him. And then 
<laughs> one thing after another. And by the end of the day, he, he can't. And it's like, he's a little kid trying to prove himself again. And it's kind of funny how an adult is acting like, like a, a child afraid of a spanking almost. Yeah. But I think the whole point of the movie too, and I, you know, I wasn't trying to oversimplify it though, is, you know, in the beginning, uh, Ben Stiller is, is talking about how that attention is sort of overwhelming and he's trying to live up to that. And he wants his dad to see that he's better than him. You know, that argument that they have, but by the end of it, he's like wanting to spend more time with his dad and like being with him when he's sick. Whereas with Danny, he's being with his dad all the time. He wants to stay with him once he's going through the separation. And then his kind of character development in the end is finally realizing like, this guy's been uh, an asshole to me like my entire life. Like I can't wait on him hand and foot and, you know, the final straw of like, Oh, I'm going to have a lunch with LJ. So you got to find something else to do. Like you can't be around. Um, Cause Danny just wants that recognition and wants that, that love that, that Matthew really got. Yeah, no, exactly. And you're talking about it at the end where he like throws down the cookies and he's like, I'm going to LA. Yeah. yeah. And that's, uh, I didn't really get to finish the point, but like Sandler in this, like, his performance is so subtle, but like just so great. And he's like, you know, you know him from like all these comedies that we saw as kids and like teenagers. And it's just like a completely different person in this. It's like, you know, obviously we, he's been in a bunch of stuff now, uncut gems where people know that he can act, but like to see it in this, to have like such a subtle character and just to be so completely different and to just play like, I didn't really like the whole time I wasn't like that's Adam Sandler like that's it was that was Danny and the only times though is like when Adam Sandler screams it's it's Adam Sandler again right yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like because you've seen it so many times one one thing I really loved about his character is how he acted towards um the daughter his daughter character and you know you could tell that he is like he wants to be her best friend he wants to give her the attention that he never got as a kid and it, it's kind of sweet how careful he is with her on he wants to make sure that she doesn't grow up resenting him in the same way that he resents his own father. And in turn, that kind of like fragility with his relationship with his daughter is really shown when she ends up texting her uncle, Matthew, more than him. And he kind of blows up and he's like, he, she, you know, our relationship is great until you come around. But it's just that kind of like um, insecurity he has with any relationship he has with any of his family members. Yeah, and, but it's also too like the, the running gag. And what, what I like is about this movie, especially I noticed is that Bombac has these running like lines through the movie and gags that seem meaningless but then sort of pay off and the one where everyone keeps talking about how like oh i texted matthew or i emailed matthew and he's like you email matthew he responded to you he's like oh yeah we text and then just you come to find out that like the reason he's upset about that is because you know ben still wanted a relationship with him when they were younger and he sort of blew it off and now he regrets that and he like he wants to be able to reach out to him but he can't you know and he's kind of upset about this this relationship that he lost and then the the development of that towards the end i thought was really good you know they throw the montage in where all the all the kids are singing together you know uh, gene danny and matt but i think 
that lack of relationship with Matthew was kind of like such a big thing for him, you know, growing up. Yeah. Or as an adult. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, you know, you have to go through the, the ups and downs and the twists and turns of, of, you know, kind of mending that. I love their big fight in the end or towards kind of the end middle. Um, and they just duke it out. And it's not really like they hate each other or they're mad about a specific thing. Um, it's, it's kind of all this like unsaid stuff that's finally coming to a, a, a boil, you know, and it's just overflowing. And it's like, yeah, they're going to duke it out and they're going to fight and they're going to be stupid about it. But in the end, it ended up being like a really good thing for their relationship. You know, it's funny too, is like, it looked like it was on a college campus and it looked like there were so many people that I just had the thought like, you know, Bombax seems when he films like his earlier stuff more than this maybe, um, and Francis Haas seemed like this, but he seems like he kind of films like almost like a, a ninja, you know, getting quick shots that they may not like have a permit for or whatever. And so I'm just wondering if instead of hiring a bunch of extras, they were just on a college campus and they were like, just telling people to act naturally. And you have just Ben Stiller and Adam Sandler, you know, wrestling on a green, just like on your college campus, I think would be funny. I I find it funny how you think like these well-known filmmakers just wing it with like a no budget sort of thing. Well, his earlier stuff for sure. Like some of his earlier budgets and like, his, I mean, his earlier stuff, his minor works. Yeah, his minor works. That's a minor work. I, first of all, uh, let's get back to it because, well, one, Francis Ha, there's like shots in the LA airport and like that is a small budget movie. And I don't know, you know, I don't know the, the logistics of getting to film in there, but it almost, it felt to me as if he just had like a handheld and he did some quick shots just to let it know like she was flying back home. Or I guess it was Sacramento, but either way. But going back to the, the squid and the whale details, like the use of the term minor works, which is like something that Jeff Daniels said, like really stuck out to me. But the other thing is the plot about the book. Did you remember that? And yeah, yeah, that? yeah. No, 100%. His second wife was like, oh, this was, this was my book. And she's like, no, no, we divided up the books. Like it, it literally felt like a redo of the squid and the whale just like years later. And it almost, you know, we talked about the squid and the whale back uh, when we did that and how you know, a lot of his movies seem sort of autobiographical. And if you watch them in order, there's like some obvious like growth of his characters and of him as a person sort of. And so like to see that like at the older, you know, not necessarily confirms it. I mean, I guess I could listen to interviews from him, but it is just cool to like, to see that through his movies. I, I, I want to say a couple of things, um, c- comparing it all, um, and then I, I, I do want to move on to the plot of the movie, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where the squid and the whale feels a lot like an angry project Bombach had to get off his chest about, like, I don't know, he must have had the shittiest father and has gone through, like, the worst divorce um, as a kid or as a divorcee, I don't know, but... Um, knowing nothing about him, I, I just, I can tell he did not have a good, uh, dad, but the squid and the whale really felt like, um, a, a fuck you to his dad, but the Meyerowitz stories almost feels like a forgiving piece. 
Like he's made peace with all the crap he had to go through with his dad growing up. And especially the way this movie ends, it's like, hey, look, you know, what you did is unforgivable. But at this point in my life, I have to forgive you. And, you know, there's no point hanging on to it. Um, So I feel like this movie is almost like a, a farewell letter to his dad or like a like a. I forgive you letter to his father. Yeah, I guess it depends on if he's like Danny or if he's Matt. You know, if it's like, I'm sorry and I forgive you or if it's like, I need some space. Yeah. Now, building on this for a second, did you find that as an odd cut where Adam Sandler is whispering, thank you, I forgive you, you forgive me? And it like keeps like cutting in onto his mouth. Uh, yeah, a little bit. There's also just like the cut from the end of Matt's story to like the hospital, I thought was like somewhat abrupt, but also, you know, kept the story interesting. Like, oh, so here's where we are. Yeah. It was, it was also funny about that too, is like I paused it to go to the bathroom and the picture Netflix had on there was like um, Ben Stiller, Adam Sandler, and Gene um, standing there walking the dog. I was like, oh God, he dies. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, this is a good segue into talking about Gene, though, who I thought was, um, you know, not a very big character in this, but also a very interesting character. Well, she was she was great. And she's like, this movie, like, totally reminded me of like a Wes Anderson movie, particularly Dustin Hoffman's character, because he's sort of odd and eccentric and this rich old guy who just, you know, would fit right in. But then Gene, especially. And looking her up I had seen her before in like the Born legacy but I haven't seen her in much she's been in quite a few things though but she was great like the character she played was just really awesome yeah um she, <laughs> she comes off as very awkward because when we're first introduced to her she's just like sitting in a corner like uh, she kind of just pops out of nowhere the camera pans and it's like there she is and she's been there for like two hours and then uh she's like, like i know oh. i know dad wanted to say hello by himself yeah it's just so freaking weird um but one one thing is kind of uh explaining the relationship about gene who i guess is the the middle child the sister right or is she the oldest i don't i don't think we know between she would either danny and gene are the older two right so, so she would either be older than Danny or younger than Danny. Right, right. Right. But um, from the things that I was kind of like feeding off of is that she was the old. Oh, no, she is the oldest. She was giving the story about when she was at camp and she came back from camp and she was the oldest and she had to babysit everyone and they were younger than her. So All she right. was definitely the oldest by a long shot. She even said her new stepmom now is like seven years older than her which is not by much um right the the thing i really like about her or that kind of story arc because you learn that one of her father's friends basically sexually assaulted her when she was younger and she's telling this story to her brothers who take it upon themselves <laughs> to completely destroy the the older man's car who at this and point is like 80 years old he's like an 80 year old man with dementia and uh 
you know, they come out of it and they run away and she's really upset because she's like, you know, that's not going to like unfuck me up. I'm still <laughs> fucked. I'm still fucked up. And you just did property damage. Like that's all you've done. And he has dementia. Like he's a pathetic old man. Like really you've accomplished nothing. But what I love is in the time of great turmoil between them and then screwing this dude's car, they are like closer than ever at this point in their relationship. And it's really true what they say about like finding a common enemy. Right. And, uh, and the way I see it, like the development of that is that prior to this, and I think it was like one or two scenes before this is that when they're visiting their father in the hospital and Danny and Matt are in the elevator and they're having the same conversation, but also completely different conversations, which I thought was just beautifully done dialogue wise, is that after, so they're not on the same wavelength, they're not on the same page at all. Everything they're saying is contrary to one another. But then after this big car beating up thing, they're just completely on the same wavelength. They're just completing each other's sentences basically. And uh, I just, absolutely loved it but then you find out like oh that didn't help anyone but them which it's you know still some positive benefits i also thought like that guy's son drove him there so like whose car did they actually destroy <laughs> actually it was a nurse it was an it was a nurse oh <laughs> <laughs> so i i kept thinking like yeah they just totally destroy that poor guy's car right and then uh yeah, I, I love the elevator scene because Adam Sandler keeps trying to answer and finish Ben Stiller's questions. And every time Melissa's like, well, no, and no. And then Adam Sandler's like, and my friend told him, he just told me that the whole thing's just this big scheme. He's like, well, that's not exactly true. Um, that's not true. But it's really, because back to what you were saying on how he really regrets not building this relationship with his younger brother over the years He's, you see him trying and failing miserably to try to like find some common ground. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. He, he definitely wants to, at this point, it's just like, you know, for most of the movie, it's too late. And then, but you know, you have this, like this thing that has to bring the family together because, you know, the father is presumably dying. Um, and I think that's kind of just a natural thing that happens to families to become kind of closer and tighter and, you know, during things like that. Yeah, no, definitely. And and you kind of see that's where it's going. What I like is that Noah Baumbach really kind of put things in there that shakes the sh- shakes things up, keeps the plot really rolling. And one of the things is just kind of cutting in this whole separate story about uh, Danny's daughter and her new boyfriend and like the weird films that they make and like overly sexually exploitive stuff that they do and with the haircut. And then all of a sudden, like Jean, her, you know, would be Danny's daughter's aunt um, is like really involved in her life right now. And it's like, I don't know where it came from, but I really like that it happened. Right. No. Yeah. Just like, this that's what i'm saying is like he puts so many details in the movies especially like from the start that you don't know like what matters you know what i mean and so like you kind of almost have to really pay attention though the other thing i noticed about like this the details he put in was the the face thing 
you know, initially he's like, well, uh, Adam's like, uh, what happened to your face? He's like, oh, the dog rushed after something and I hit the ground. And then he tells the joke about like, you should see the other dog. And then he brings it up to Matt. And it just seems like kind of like a minor running gag. And then it turns out to be like the reason he's in the hospital and like could be his death. That absolutely broke my heart. When I first saw it, I was just like stunned. I was like, oh, holy crap. That stupid anecdote about the dog throwing him on the ground is like, oh man. And then there's no one would listen to him. No one cared. No one took him seriously enough. It's exactly like, like in his whole life, you know, he was so narcissistic and he treated his kids presumably like crap or, you know, the pressures of, of, of that to the point where I wonder if he led a better life, a more loving and caring life towards his kids. If his kids would be like, um, Oh, you, you fell dad. That looks really bad. I'm going to take you to go see a doctor. Just like how his daughter pushed him and pushed Adam Sandler to go to a doctor because of his limp. I wonder if Bomback was trying to show like, Hey, it's kind of what he gets for doing what he did all these years. Right. Well, and the other kind of commentary that he's kind of making around that too is about hospitals and how, you know, if you're the family of someone that's in that situation, you have to like stick around and take notes. Um, I know when my, my grandmother had a fall and my dad was like constantly in there every day to make sure like, Oh no, no, you can't give her that. Like you got to talk to the other nurse. Cause like mistakes like that can happen. And what I thought like kind of the, the major like conflict when they're talking to the doctor, who's like, well, we have to put him in a coma. Um, and then they're like, well, you, you know, you'll be there tomorrow. And she's like, well, no, I'm, I'm going to China for three weeks. Then like, well, how can you do that? And it's like, you do think as the family, you're like, how can you just leave us? Like my father could die. Right. At the same time, if that doctor had to stay for like the completion of every patient's journey at that hospital, like they would never get a break. You know what I mean? And how like, right. They fall, like they get really infatuated with the nurse named Pam. And so hey, the uh, would you, uh, would you have sex with Pam? What? Was that in the movie? Yeah, you missed it. It's when all three siblings. Oh, yeah. And then Gene's like, I would. I would. I can't believe you just, you looked at me like I was insane. Just like. (laughs) Moving on. No, one of the things that I really like about, wait, more about saying what the hospital was is that you never see um, Dustin Hoffman coming out of the hospital or, you know, being cured. And it just has this hard cut. But then the next time you're in a hospital room, you're like, oh, we're back in the hospital with Dustin Hoffman. But it's not. It is, um, it's Danny recovering from his hip replacement. And it's like, you know, the hospital and the doctors take a very like heavy point to the uh, middle end of this movie. Yeah, and I also like when they do see, you threw me off, but when they do see Pam again, because she gets put on another floor, like, oh, Pam, come over here. And they like all, both give her a hug. And they're like, oh, yeah, they put my dad on this. And they're like, no, no, no they put him on this. And da 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 And she just like, you know, she has thousands of these interactions and there's no way she can keep, like, she obviously recognizes them, but like, there's no way she can keep interest in all of this. And it's just like, 
the dynamics of how you view, like how a patient views that situation in their family versus how you as a doctor or nurse, like this is your job, you know what I mean? That you have to do every day. No, exactly. Exactly. And another thing this kind of reminds me of, because, you know, they approach Pam and kind of um, dote on her is right after they, (laughs) they beat up that car. And in the process of doing that, you know, I think Matthew cuts his hand and Danny cuts his cheek by throwing rocks through the windshield. And they're bleeding and, and Pam and other people at the hospital are like, hey, you're, you're bleeding. And they're like, yeah, isn't it, isn't it great? Like, yeah. <laughs> but then when that, and they're, uh, they fight, they have those, uh, the fisticuffs in the courtyard of the college, uh, Matthew and Danny, and they're both bleeding. There's like great shame. They, you know, they're, they're showing great shame in their, in their wounds. And I thought that was a nice little, I don't know what you want to call it, a callback or bookends, but you know, the two same brothers are bleeding for much different reasons. And it's just their reaction to different situations, which I thought was like really telling. They were also on drugs the second time. So that's, that's true. And the last thing that I really liked about the movie was Emma Thompson. And I don't think we talked about her character as much yet. Um, But she's, she has this ability in different movies to play like, just completely different unrecognizable characters Mm -hmm. and in this obviously you can see it's her and you recognize her but like she was so great in this um just as like this kind of like very subtly drunk woman who's like you get you don't really know her intentions like i came away from this not knowing how she actually feels about dustin hoffman right um but her like her job in this was great like everyone in this was great yeah, no, Noah Baumbach really knows how to direct an ensemble of a, of cast. And um, I think this is one of his stronger works. Um, but no, it, seriously, it's honestly, I think it's my favorite. Um, I've only seen maybe four or five of his stuff, things. Um, I have yet to see Marriage Story. But uh, I this is honestly one of my favorite um, things that he's done. And I'm really glad. Uh, I revisited it for this and I definitely think like I don't know about you but I I could watch this ever so often yeah I I agree um you know as I was saying earlier some of his kind of earlier movies are a little harder to rewatch over and over again because they're kind of a little dark depressing but this is this is a you know this is a great movie it's a little lighter it's a lot funnier um intentionally funny scenes where Adam Sandler's like oh that's that pool stick that I saved up months to get you and then Dustin Hoffman breaks it over the table a second later so yeah this is just great and um yeah I'll I'll put it on another time for sure I mean it's always going to be on Netflix so yeah yeah Bombac has like a deal with Netflix or something um well cool well um thank you for listening not you uh David you're welcome Thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Alon. And I'm David. And I finally watched the Meyerowitz stories.